Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Um, I had a crazy season of just travel, but some great stuff. I'm going to do my best this morning to, we're going to get back into 1 John, um, but I'm going to try to weave together uh, just a little update from our time with Rick and Colleen in Thailand. And um, also just this last week, we uh, uh, do a conference, help lead a conference down in Texas every year. I'm going to try to weave all that into a, a little 1 John. I feel like I have a little buzz or something going on. Ooh. A um, little feedback. A um, couple thanks. Thanks to Derek and uh, John. Great message last week and for um, carrying on um, while we're gone. Uh, also, I just encourage you to stay after, um, especially with the weather. We got some great empanadas and food out there, but this uh, for Alpha. Uh, uh, Trinity is leading us um, today, and it's about how God guides us. It's really good stuff, and it will be a great dialogue uh, for all of us. So if you can, encourage you to stay, and we'll just dive in together on that um, great topic of Alpha. Alpha will end um, the beginning of December or the end of, uh, of November. Um, and just so you know, we're praying into what classes to offer here during this second hour, um, during our, our kind of school year format. Um, and we're pretty sure we're going to be launching a parenting class here on Sunday mornings. Um, parenting, if you're a parent, you know this, these are tough times. And uh, we just want to go ahead, just go right after this issue. Uh, we have a team that's coming together. That will be one. We'll offer probably a couple other classes as well. We'll let you know about those. But if you have any ideas, any feedback, please, um, please let us know uh, about those things. Um, okay, well, let's, let's uh, dive in here. Let me just pray, and I'm going to go right after it. We're going to be in First John. I'm going to step back into primarily verse 6 of chapter 2. I have been just, for the last several weeks, just really camping out on this one verse and this idea we talked about several weeks ago about moving from faith like Jesus to faith, or from faith in Jesus to faith like Jesus. And uh, what John calls us to here in this, uh, in this book. So... Um, yeah, I got a little feedback, Derek. I don't know what that is, that little doot. But uh, anyway, Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for the snow, Lord. We rejoice in the, the moisture. We just pray over this year, Lord, for our community. Pray for a big snow year. A blessing, Lord, for uh, the economy and people's livelihood around here. Uh, Lord, for the moisture, for the land, all of those things. We ask, Lord, you're the one who gives forth. Lord, water and rain upon the earth. And Lord, we just ask you, Lord, you're a father. We're your children. We ask you, uh, Lord, just like James says, we're just like Elijah who prayed and it rained and it didn't rain. And so we uh, come to you with faith based on your word, Lord, and ask you for that blessing. We thank you for this snow. Uh, Lord, we love you, God. And um, Father, I pray you'll stoke in us a fresh and new hunger for your word, hunger for fellowship. Lord, back to the basics, Lord. Um, Father, strengthen our faith. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would move this morning. Awaken us, God, to, uh, to what faith, the very core. What is faith? How do we evaluate our faith? How do we grow and awaken our faith, Father? Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
All right, let me just uh, dive in. We're in, by the way, um, we were gifted with some Bibles. So if you didn't bring your paper Bible and um, you want paper, it's underneath the seat in front of you right there. ESV is what the translation I use. You're welcome to pull one of those out. Or, of course, um, you can use electronics if you want to. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, so First John um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Um, Remember, we're redeemed. Jesus saves us not to just live a life of mundane sin management, just the do's and don'ts. Um, I would be willing to bet that many of us grew up in a church environment where really that's kind of what we say is kind of legalistic. It was just, you sum it up, it was about don't do this, do that. You know, obey the commands, obey God. Um, And folks, what John is saying to us is that, no, you are safe for so much more than that. An abundant life that transcends just sin management, uh, that's going to send someone into spiritual. I'm what? Oh, are we good? Very strange. Want me to pick up the handheld? Yeah, let's do it. And I can really get after it with this. So, no, uh, that's kind of, uh, <laughs> and a robe. Hey, I got one up in my office. I'm breaking out. So uh, anyway, um, John says, look, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. And one of the big faith principles we're going to look at here is God never will call us to be anything or do anything he doesn't empower us to do. He's called you, if he saved you, if you know Jesus, if the spirit of the living God that raised Christ from the dead, if you know him, if he resides in you, you have everything you need to transcend the battle of sin. Now, we're going to get into this a little deeper. But this is why John's writing. He's like, you're a new creation. Don't be bound by... Right? You've been, there's a power greater that we need to lay hold of And folks, he's trying to rock the church out of this religious, just mundane, uh, Romans 7, Paul, just wretched man I am. You know, I keep doing what I don't want to do, lifestyle. That's sin management. That is not what God's called you or saved you to. He's got so much more for each of us, right? He goes on, but if anyone does sin, in other words, there's going to be that we still have the flesh. There's going to be times we fail, but it should be a taking hold of the gospel and moving through it. And he says, look, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation. Oh, there's that big word for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation is a big word. It means that Jesus satisfied the justice of God, the wrath of God. He took on himself what was due us, right, in, in, in the justice of God. God is loving and he's just. Those two go together on the cross, both things solved for the whole world. We'll come back to that. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, if we're reading this, we, we might just, oh, keep his commandments. We might be thinking sin managers, just about do's and don'ts. But here's where he goes to. By this we may know that we are in him. 
Whoever says he abides in him, that's John's big word, right, of remaining intimate knowledge of of Jesus, ought to walk the same way in which he walked. So it's not about sin management. John says, look, the gospel, we're saved to live like Jesus, to walk like him. And that word in the Greek means to live, to behave just like Jesus. He says, whoa, how do we do that? And that is uh, what we want to look at here this morning. So, I'm going to do part two. A few weeks back, I did part one of moving from faith in Jesus to faith like Jesus. And uh, just focusing in on verse six, again, of this, this big statement, right, that uh, John is saying is what we should, if we abide in him, if we say we know him, if we're saved, if we're a follower of Jesus, there needs to be this progression of living and walking like Jesus, a faith that is like Jesus. Not just faith in him, not just a profession, oh, that's what I believe, but a faith that is transformative, right, in our life. So, I got three things for us, and what I'm going to do the best I can is I'm going to weave together some things that I spoke about at the conference last weekend, and that um, just some things I pulled from Thailand, from our time with Rick and Colleen in Thailand, weave those together best I can this morning. Three things to think about, folks. We should be evaluating our faith all the time. And uh, next week, I'm going to get into, as we move into um, the latter part of chapter 2, this idea of having a faith that cannot be deconstructed. Folks, we're in a unique time where people's faith is faltering. People are bailing. It's scary what's going on, right? Because we're under, there's just this, uh, and I'll talk more about it next week, but there, it's, a, it's a test. There's a real trial um, that is beginning primarily in the church about where people's faith, where are we standing? And this really is a test of, boy, is it just faith in Jesus? Because just faith in Jesus is not, cannot stand. If it's not a faith that's moving like Jesus, right? Uh, towards an abiding faith, knowledge of him. And, and faith has to be tested. We see this in the scripture um, that our faith is tested. And so uh, I think what I would just throw out for us to think about this morning, I've been grappling with this one verse for several weeks now, and um, just this idea of, of what's the state of my faith? And what we have to do, and I, I, again, I think all of us, I'm going to make a generalization, but I think we all would agree that, man, you know, if we've walked with God, if we've been in church for, for years, decades maybe, or whatever it is, have we really adequately been in an environment, a discipleship, spiritual formation environment where we've really had the opportunity to really wrestle with and, and grapple with the state of my faith? Where is my faith? Paul says we're to examine ourselves constantly to see if we're in the faith in light of how I'm living, how I'm feeling, and that begins with just being purely honest about where I'm at, being really bluntly honest about where my faith is at. And again, I'm willing to bet a lot of us grew up in environments where that wasn't welcome. Boy, we could not say things without, you know, judged or something um, to be really honest about, wow, where my faith is, what I'm really struggling with, where I'm really at, because change doesn't come until holiness cannot happen without humility, great humility, which means a humility that moves in, Lord, I don't know. Here's where I'm at. I need you to move. And where we get desperate, right, for the Spirit of God to move. So three 
three questions, three statements that I'm going to give us to, to wrestle with. I hope you'll take these. Uh, I hope you'll take deep time, and I hope the outcome of this will be that you'll take these and wrestle uh, in a discipleship group, in a smaller group, right, to, to be accountable, to really get honest with where your faith is at. We're moving into a time, folks, um, where faith is tested like none other when we, any of us have, have lived or what we've walked through before. The three things are this. First thing is this, and we're going to dive into these. Uh, first one is this. God will never call you or ask you to be someone or to do something he's not willing um, to empower you to be or to do. Okay, the, the, faith, I have to wrestle with that. Okay, I can't wrestle with, and, and this is where a lot of us, I'm going to share, we, we battle with this, right? And this is where faith has to rise. And I have to come back and say, okay, um, and we're going to jump, leap over to Romans uh, 7 and 8 this morning uh, to look at these three things. The second one is that God calls us for his purpose, not ours. Whoa, I have to constantly be looking at, Lord, am I submitted to your purpose and your will? And that's deep water, folks. It's easy to say that, but you know how the flesh works. We're so easily self-deceived thinking we're doing what God wants us to do. But really, we've just intellectually got ourselves convinced that this is the right thing. Have we heard from God? And are we living for his purpose? Okay. Third one is this, is that God will do anything for you he's done for anybody else. Wow. Do I believe that? And do I stay in that place? So those are the three statements that I just throw out to us. We give many more but these are three big ones, and they all hinge together in the sense of evaluating my faith and helping me. Am I moving towards a faith like Jesus? Because if I am not okay with those statements, it's going to hold me up big time, right, to grow and advance my faith. And um, folks, right out of the shoot here, I just want to say something we have to get used to uh, because we've gone through... Uh, uh, an age, we're in it still, right, where even in the church, something from the culture is crept in the church where we cannot exhort each other, right, to push our faith onward. I just want to bring everybody's attention all through the New Testament. The number one thing Jesus said, not only to the generation, but to the disciples was, where's your faith? Where is your faith? And only you, only, only me, only I can, uh, before God, Right, determine and lay hold of these things by faith. I can't have this other excuse. Oh, you're making me feel bad. Oh, you're making me feel like I'm not a very good Christian. Oh, you're making me feel like I don't have enough faith. That's exactly what the New Testament says should be happening in discipleship. Not in a judgmental way, but it's like, man, come on, where's our faith? Is I constantly have to be evaluating, where's my faith? And we have to own this. This is part of faith. It is Jesus, my return. Well, I find faith. Well, I find my people faithfully. That means as a church body, as the bride of Christ, but also as individual, where's my faith? I will stand before God responsible for my faith. We've got to uh, get out of this very, um, I, I, this environment that's crept into the church that we cannot encourage boldly each other to evaluate our faith. Does that make sense? Because it's all in the New Testament, over and over. Examine your faith. Where is your faith? If you have faith of a mustard seed, right? And so here's these three questions that we want to, to look at. Because if we don't, we will stay 
stuck in this place of just faith in, yeah, I believe this, but there's no reality and testimony of the power of God transforming me right in my life of what God has called me to this this life that that transcends um just a sin management right just going through that's boring who wants that who wants to just sit around and just well I'm not doing this I'm not doing this a sin evaluation he's called you for so much more an abundant life led by empowered by the holy spirit so Romans 7 and 8 here we go um if you'll flip over there um this morning and we're just going to take a look. Um, oh, sorry. I had that on the screen for us. Um, at this first question, God will never ask us to be someone or do something. He's not willing to empower us to be or to do. All right. Um, in John 7 at the end, John, uh, Paul is grappling in chapter 7 with how to obey the law. Right? Huh? What did I say? Oh, sorry. Romans, thank you. Romans 7, Paul's wrestling with the law and how to obey the law. I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do. And he ends this statement in verse 24. Oh, wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And for too long, we have just settled into that. Like, oh, that's just our normal existence. And we have forgotten there is a radical difference between chapter 7 and chapter 8. It's chapter 8 that he calls us to. Chapter 8 is, is where the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life is what God calls us to. And it is the one that can empower us to right, um, have uh, power over the power of sin and death. And so when we move into chapter 8, it says, Therefore, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now we hear that verse all the time. That is a glorious promise. Paul says, because of Christ's work on the cross, and what we read in 1 John, right? He is our propitiation. He is our advocate before the Father because of what he did on the cross for us. Is that we have, there is now, for those in Christ, no condemnation before God. Amazing, right? To hold on to that. But we don't move to verse 2. Verse 2 is actually where the, this is, this is where we need to camp out. It says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now I have to take that by faith. And he's going to break down in chapter 8 here what that looks like. That's the reality of what Christ has done. He's not going to call you to, to walk a holy life if he's not going to empower you to do it. He's not going to call you to be something. A new creation. A child of God. All right, unless he's going to empower you to do it. So what's the factor in all that? The factor is my faith. The factor is my faith. Am I going to take the promises of God and stand upon them and move towards trusting God? You said this. Give me the ability to walk in this, right? And I just want to pick up in, um, in verse uh, 15 over here in chapter 8 as well. There's so much here. I'm just kind of touching on, on the surface here. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If you know Jesus, if you've been saved, you've received the Holy Spirit that has adopted you. Your whole identity is radically changed, and that spirit with your spirit now has changed you to a child of God, no longer enslaved to sin and to death. 
but now a child of God under the inheritance of all that God has for us. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So God is never going to take you through a season of trial and suffering that he is not willing to give you the power to go through it and to come out of it stronger. That's James 1, right? He's never going to put you into a season or anything, right, that he is not willing to empower you to get through that and come out the back end stronger. So uh, just along lines of as we evaluate the state of our faith, man, have I been held up? In other words, if I've just been having a pity party over myself of, of just wallowing in my uh, trauma, in my sin, in my whatever it is, or am I going with to the, what the Word says I am, right, and taking it by faith? I mean, folks, we can have a thousand processes out there, but ultimately, breakthrough only comes when I unite faith with the Word of God and say that I believe that I'm taking for what it says about me, right? And uh, as we move in here, just another thing to think about, identity is more important than vocation. This is critical. Identity is more important than vocation. If I don't get settled in my discipleship firmly, who I am before God, if I don't firmly get settled into this is who I am in Christ, this is who I am as a child of God, that is the foundation of faith. If that foundation doesn't get settled, suffering or temptation or things will rock that foundation of faith, folks. Foundation of faith that cannot be rocked is one that knows who we are in Christ and that no matter what happens to me around the world, I come back to the truth and by faith I say, God, this is... This is what you've done for me. This is who I am. Not believing any lies, not laying them, right? Submitting them to God and his truth and at holding that foundation, right? My faith in the truth of God. And folks, all of us in this journey of discipleship uh, go have ups and downs and have, have, have a problem with this. But what I'm saying is this happens in spiritual formation. This shoring up of of who I am happens in intimate exchange of holding each other accountable and prayerfully encouraging and walking with each other, right, for the strength of our faith in these areas. It just doesn't happen. It takes applying, right, our our faith to this. And the problem is that we leap out to vocation. We leap out to calling, right, and making decisions about our life and ministry and everything else without doing the adequate work to shore up who we are. Look at Jesus' own life. 30 years before he began his ministry, and before he began his ministry, and the power came and he started working, well, the heaven part, this is my son. Even for Jesus, there was a shoring up of who he was before he moved into vocational ministry, his calling, his work, what, he, what God had for him. And so this is um, the first thing that we need to just, man, throw it into the hopper. Man, do I, am I wrestling with, and let's just be honest. Let's just be honest with this. If we're, if we're struggling, right, with, uh, with this truth in our lives, if I'm struggling with who I am, right, and, and, and this kind of fleshes out, are we making excuses for not walking in the truth of God and not laying hold of our identity and who God calls us to? Am I, am I throwing some excuses out? Am I throwing a pity party? Um, 
And that's where we have to come back to God. Lord, no, it's faith. I, 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 I trust you. I, I lay down. I repent. I, I turn to you. I trust you. Lord, you empower me with this. And this needs to happen in community. This needs to happen ultimately, again, in, in, in discipleship, intimate exchange with each other, prayerfully encouraging right, um, one another in this, uh, in this process. So um, as I mentioned, uh, Michelle and I had a great opportunity to go with Rick and Colleen as they uh, are transferring their hub of, uh, of operation from Nepal to Thailand, to Phuket, the southern part of Thailand. And um, uh, just a, a wonderful time with them and seeing their new home. And, and uh, I'll share a little bit more just about the mission here in just a minute. But um, one of the things that struck me, and this is why I think it's so important to go every now and then, to put yourself in places unfamiliar, especially culturally, um, but you get in those positions where, boy, you're the you're. There's no one of your culture anywhere close by, and a all new culture and everything else, and and it tests your faith. It tests your faith because you see all the massive people, and it makes you think, Lord, Jesus is is this truth for all these people? And this is really really important, especially in our community here. Because traveling and being involved with and seeing all those cultures in the large world, something is going to happen. Either God and his gospel and Jesus is going to become larger or he's going to become smaller. Either you're going to see all that and in your faith you're going to, Lord, what your word says is that your, your death on the cross was for the whole world. For every tribe, every nation, every culture. Or what's going to happen is you're going to go into those cultures and your faith is going to be attacked and you're going to start syncretizing. You say, well, these people are good. They, they, they're, they're following this God or this system. Surely they're okay or surely, right? Our, our culture and even here in Aspen has fully adopted that. Again, it's a test of faith because there is no faith. There is no real knowing Jesus unless you know him as the Lord of the world. Not one of many paths, not one of many directions, but the Lord, the Savior of the world, the gospel, the only way unto the Father, the only way unto salvation. And he's great, and he's big, and he loves the nations, and he's about redeeming the nations. And this is exactly what the Great Commission is all about, is to take the love of God and the good news to all the ends of the earth. Does that make sense? He will give us everything we need. Right, if we call upon him. But sometimes, right, our faith to be tested. And we have to go in, we have to make steps of faith, put ourselves in uncomfortable positions to have our faith tested. Otherwise, you're just playing it comfortable. Guess what? You're just if A faith that is not tested, right, is, is not a strong faith. And um, I just throw that out. If that's something you wrestle with, if there's even the inkling issue in your mind when you travel or when you gauge other cultures here in this town that you even are entertaining any aspect of ah you know those are good people ah but maybe maybe they'll surely they'll find a way if that's anywhere in your struggle i encourage you to come forth and be honest with that with some people because here i just want to be very blunt with you you can't know jesus that way you can't be saved and come to jesus thinking he's just one option among many 
That's not the gospel. There's, you'll find that option nowhere in the scripture. Nowhere in historical Christianity. And it's something, honestly, that the church and our culture, we've just kind of not messed around with. And when that is not dealt with clearly, somebody's faith is completely halted. Right? And, and, they, and, and any faith they thought of salvation, even if they've gone and, and professed Jesus and, and this idea that Jesus is my way, that's not salvation, folks. That Jesus is for me, I see him as a savior, but oh, everybody else has something else. That is not anywhere in what Jesus preached. That's not anywhere in the Bible. That's not Christianity. And this is something we have to get right at the core of really wrestling with. Where is my faith? How do I see Jesus for who he is? So I I beseech you, I, I say, if that's any struggle, sit down, go after it. Get others, get into discipleship, wrestle with that issue because that issue will halt you on the road to salvation. It'll halt you from really seeing God for who he ultimately is. Does that make sense? All right? Okay, so um, the next one is um, the, in the questions, this idea that God called us for his purposes and not ours. And uh, we just leap down here in chapter 8 of Romans to this, this very familiar passage. And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. His purpose. Folks, I have to evaluate my faith. Where am I? Am I I surrendered to the will of God for my life? That's a big, huge question. Are my decisions surrendered to the will of God? And this is why this Alpha discussion is going to be so powerful here in just a minute is around how does God guide us? He will always guide us in his will. He's always guide us in his purpose for us. And folks, the faith, the life of faith of following God, it's always this idea of submitting to the will of God. Now, two very powerful passages, right? Matthew 7, Jesus says, On that day there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, Right? And, and, he, and he says, but I don't know you. And he goes on to say, only those who do the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And in John chapter 2, we'll, or First John chapter 2, we'll get to it in a couple weeks, right? Uh, John, at the end of talking about the, the, what the world is, right? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, that's all that's in the world. And he says, um, at the end of that, the world is passing away and all of its desires. All that's passing away. But only those who do the will of God will abide forever. And so, folks, this is where the rubber meets the road again, evaluating my faith. Man, am I, Lord, am I doing your will? Am I doing your will? And that's a deep question. Again, folks, this transcends just sin management. Oh, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm doing that. I'm, you know, I'm pretty good in this area. No, no, this is deep heart stuff. Have I surrendered in my decision-making, in how I live my daily life, am I surrendered to the will of God? And in the sense of, Lord, I'm waking up this morning, Father, I'm yours. What are we going to do today? Let me be faithful in all my responsibilities. And Father, I'm available to you to please you. Lord, in all situations, let me please you. And do your will. Right? Romans 12. We know well. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? That we may prove, it goes on to say, the good will of God. Right? That we may please him in all we do. And um, so this idea of, of, boy, testing my faith and evaluating my faith. Man, Lord, am I, am, I, am I in tune with you? Is there a desire? This is the big one. 
Do you desire to please God and to do his will? And folks, this is why this easy believism, yeah, you just come, just say the prayer to receive Jesus, just it doesn't, it doesn't stand. Because Jesus says you've got to count the cost. This means you've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross. You have to submit your will to the will of God because he knows best. He has a glorious plan and, uh, for our life. We have to come and, and lay hold of, Lord, show me. Show me what that is, right? In my life, again, this is where identity is more important than vocation. If I, if I waffle on who I am, right, then I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to be, when it comes to finding direction from God, it's, the enemy is going to sidetrack me. And all of this, right, fits intimately um, together. So um, <laughs> one of the things just in, in walking around, it was great. We got to prayer walk and just kind of see the island, get the lay of the island, meet some pastors, some of the work that's there. And, um, and, and I love just uh, trying to find a place just to take some time just to watch culture, watch people, watch what's going on. And, and uh, so I ventured off a few, did some prayer walking down the beach and then into town, sat in a uh, coffee shop and just watched people. And um, boy, the thing that, number one, the shocking thing was I didn't, we didn't see one American the entire time. Not one American. Lots of Europeans, lots of Russians, lots of Eastern Europeans, Arabs, uh, Indians, Australians. Um, and in this coffee shop was a lot of these young people, and they're from all over. No Americans, at least that I knew of. And, um, and they're all working remotely. And the couple that I engaged, um, they are there alone. And it just struck me, this whole, everything's tied together, this idea of working remotely, and, and the thing in our culture that's taken over is this just exalting of the autonomous self. High individuality. COVID just, just pushed this around the world to a whole new level. And now with, a, you know, you can be anywhere at any time, right? With, with technology, you can travel easily. And it just has, has expanded this idea of my individual autonomy. And I, you look at the, and you wonder, well, where's the stability? Where's the heritage? Where's the home? What does home even mean? What does community even mean? Right? What does it mean to build lasting right, relationships where it's not just you know, my, my Instagram feed or whatever it is right, that's connecting? Um, and then this, this reality um, I remembered from that book I suggested, Live Not By Lies. Um, and this is so, so important, folks, is that technology has a way it converges all of values down to world, the world's values. That's what technology does. It has a way of moving all values down to the world's values. And, um, and that's just science. That's the whole idea that man, that we can solve things, that we can make things better, right? And um, just look at that, what social media has done. Just that technology alone. It brings values. It unites everyone around the world's values. And it harshly kicks out any other values except the world's. And it conforms young people and the rest of the world to those values. And you just see this even internationally now, right, on a global scale of what's happening. And so I, I, I leave us with a thought here. You know, I just was contemplating this in, in, in watching and observing all that. Um, is um, just ask this question. 
Who's winning the culture battle in America right now? Who won it in Europe? Let me step way back during Paul's day. Who won the culture battle in Ephesus? Now, I throw these questions because this is real important. God did not call his church and his people to win the cultural battle. If your faith is residing up and down on how culture goes and politics goes, you're going to be in a world of hurt and your faith is going to suffer. Let me say it again. If your faith is residing upon how things are going in the culture, you're in trouble. Because all throughout history, the cultural battle was won by the world. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, doesn't mean we don't get involved. Of course we do. But again, it's back to God's purpose. He called us to be set apart from the world, holy unto him, and to be a fellowship representing the kingdom of God as a light in this dark world. If I switch that mission and I'm all about getting involved in culture, thinking that somehow I'm going to change the culture, and I miss, and this is what's happened in the American church, one of many things, right, is we've got this mission wrong. We've got the priority wrong. In other words, the cultural change, anything that happens in culture should be an overflow of what's happening in the church and the body of Christ and its holiness and unity and exhibiting a healthy family of God, holy, loving each other, right, to the world. Does that make sense? Now, that's a big statement. I just throw it out to you to, to wrestle with, with Scripture and with everything else. Paul, the apostles didn't change the culture of any town they went into. Right? Who won the culture battle in Rome? Now, Rome was judged because of that culture, right? I could go on and on. Right? The world, John says, it's passing away. And all of its desires are passing away. Only those who do the will of the Father will abide forever. Right? His purpose. Be in tune with that so that your faith is not rocked when you see the wacky stuff. It should not surprise you. It shouldn't surprise us, though it does. <laughs> Just as soon as you feel like, wow, you know, um, that's the world. That's the world. What we should, what needs to happen is a renewal of God's people holding on to who their identity is, not just individually, but my identity can't stand without a corporate identity of being part of the body of Christ, the family of God, right, in the world. All right, the final thing, final question is this big question, folks. Um, is our statement is God is willing to do for us anything he's going to do for anybody else. I have to wrestle with that. Now, folks, we do this conference every year, and I had a chance afterwards to spend some time with some very well-known, if I mention their names, you would know them, pastors uh, in our country, and and, uh, it was awesome. But then I found myself, I was out and uh, thinking through stuff, and I just started getting in this loop. I started going, man, man, I started hearing all their testimonies. I started hearing all of what they get to do in ministry and their life, and I was like, dang, I want some. Why don't I have that? And then it just struck me. It's like, you idiot, what did you just preach the Sunday morning right here? <laughs> you know? I mean, so it was, this re- it was this restoration. Like, oh my gosh, look what happened that quick. Is I started comparing 
And I start playing a pity party. God, look what you did for them. Why are you not doing that for me? That will tube your faith. That will bring division in the body faster than anything else. Right? God has saved you. If he saved you, guess what? This verse, Romans 8, 32, one of my favorite. He, did not, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, Jesus, graciously give us you all things? Wow. That's where I have to reorient my faith. So if my faith, if I'm getting into comparison, man, my life, I wish I was further down. Why am I not experiencing this? And why does that person get that gift or this thing or that opportunity or just go down the list of things? You know, um, why am I not married? Why do I not have a family like this? Or da-da? Right? We, we all do this. That will tube our faith faster than anything. It violates, right, God's promise to us. So all three of these work together. Lord, forgive me for that. Right? Um, I just said, Lord, wow. Okay, how quickly from preaching something to experiencing it, right? Is I like, Lord, wow, you're my father. I want your purposes for my life, Lord, and, and I want to be free from all, uh, all that entanglement. And so I just encourage you in this, this faith journey, these are some big statements to wrestle with. Where's your faith? Right? And to journey, step in. Step into discipleship with others to wrestle, right, with these things. Probably the, one of the greatest, uh, wonderful, wonderful time we had uh, in Thailand was we got to go on a Zoom call with um, a lot of the Indian leaders where they had left. And folks, I just want to commend Rick and, and Colleen. It was so encouraging to see the fruit. They are there on a whole new mission. It is overwhelming as we look at that island and think, man, how are you going to reach the 35% Muslims here? How's this going to happen? I mean, it's starting from scratch. This is like New Testament stuff. But how exciting. It's like, Lord, you called us to it. Back to the statement. You called us in your great commission to go make disciples of every nation. Where there is not an existing church, where there's not existing um, good news, you've called us to go bring that good news to that place. If you've called us to it, you will empower us to do it. Right? That's faith. Based on his word. Right? Not being overwhelmed, like, oh, how's this going to happen? And to see the fruit of what's happening in northern India and Nepal right now. We'll get to go back and do some equipping right with them. But to see these leaders being discipled, raised up, small churches, Jamatsa Kalam, and to see them raised up and now leading. And then this couple, this whole family moving from India to Nepal to oversee brand new ministry. And it's New Testament stuff. Folks, you are a part of that. You are a part of accomplishing God's greater purposes through this little church and through the obedience of Rick and Colleen and others. That's pretty awesome, right? It's the outworking of faith, doing something. <laughs> How is that going to work, Lord? We need you, God. Our faith can never be what it needs to be without taking steps of faith. So to live like Jesus, to have a faith like his, means we have to take steps like his. And being willing to love people radically. Step into people's lives and different things with the good news and stand up for the truth, right? And so I just end, we'll pray, is um, remember our exhortation throughout this whole thing um, is that before we come to church, right, to set our minds, Lord, simple prayer, Lord, show me today at church who I can love. Show me how to love them and who I can love. 
Because the great, one of the great themes that John talked about last week is we're to love one another. It shows that we're abiding with him. And that would change the whole context of faith and who we are. If we just think, but Lord, who's here today I can love? I'm available. Show me. Right? So, Father, we love you and thank you for your word. And, uh, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, convict us if we have this attitude. We all do at different times of, of, of complaining about our faith or complaining about others. Or, Lord, may we settle into this mentality. Increase our faith, God, for your glory, Lord, and for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.